Welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection, Episode 7. Welcome back to another episode of Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Shapiro, Vice President of Brand Relations at Redpoints, the world's fastest growing brand protection solution with a mission to make the internet safer place for both brands and consumers. In these podcasts, we will share the stories and industry insights from some of the leading experts in the brand protection from many different industries. We are so happy that you could join us today. Please check out all our episodes on www.redpoints.com forward slash podcast. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Dennis Wilkie, Brand Protection Coordinator at Cluse, who had a dream of becoming a painter or a singer. However, he quickly realized he didn't have the creativity and skills to be successful, so he thought, if I can't make beautiful paintings myself, I can figure out how to protect other people's creativity. And that's why he chose to become an intellectual property lawyer. Hi, Dennis. Thank you for joining us today. We are super excited to have you with us today. We appreciate you giving us time and to learn a little bit more about your story. Yes, thank you, Daniel. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to uh, to have this conversation today. Does it take you more than one coffee? How many coffees does it take you to get going in the morning? In the morning, I usually have two uh, two coffees, and in the afternoon, I have uh, I have one. I try to keep it with three. But yeah, I had the I think the correct amount of uh, caffeine today to to uh, answer all of your difficult questions for the day. <laughs> Great, appreciate that. Listen. The fact that you you know have a limit is good, uh, but you know given a circumstance, I suppose you could break through your limit if you needed the extra jolt. Absolutely. Okay, good. Uh, tell us uh, maybe uh, to start us off. Uh, do you have an experience, maybe a quirky or funny experience that you've had throughout your life or career, either in work or personal, that you sort of sometimes tell a lot of a, a, as a good story? Actually, related to uh, to coffee, as uh, if you, if you work in brand protection, you. Uh sometimes give trainings to to custom officers uh and one of the last one i did right before the pandemic hit uh was in brussels and we were displaying our products so i was standing there with uh, with my products and next to me was a, a colleague of mine from the uk uh, displaying another brand selling uh, uh phone accessories and it was very early in the morning uh we all flew in that that morning so it, the day was already halfway uh, through for us and then the the customer officers came in, uh, and at some point after like an hour, we said like, you know what, we we should get another uh, coffee. We we're already at our limits, but for for them it's still too early. Let's get another uh, cup of coffee. And we actually went to to grab a coffee, came back, and then uh, a lot of the police officers and customer officers thought that the products she had on her table were actually goodies for them to take. Uh, so right now there are quite some uh, custom officers. In uh, in Belgium, that uh, that have fake phone accessories without probably even knowing it. So that's uh, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Do they have any watches as well? No, 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 no. I uh, I I think because I made it very clear with a big red sign, these are fake. That they didn't want those watches uh, and the other ones. I uh, I was lucky enough to uh, to have made it clear to the custom officers that they shouldn't take those. <laughs> well, listen. That is a good story, and uh, I think the challenge there is, uh, you know, so, sort of being clear. I guess the last people you thought might take stuff would be a customs officer, and no, and no disrespect to the, to the customs officers out there who do a good job. But 
a hundred percent. Like the 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 great people and uh, and making mistakes is human, but th- this is a very funny mistake. That is a funny mistake. So tell us, uh, uh, Dennis, what did you want to be when you grew up? Or maybe even more important, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember when I was, uh, I think, like eight, nine years old, my my dad uh, brought me along to uh, um, a football match that he was invited to through one of his, his uh, business uh, uh, business connections. And I was talking with uh, a man there in a very nice suit for quite a while. And after a while, he said, Oh, you, you can speak very well for your age. You should become a lawyer as a joke. Uh, but if a man in a suit in a football stadium tells you you should become a lawyer, then from that point on, you decide that you want to become a lawyer. Uh, so uh, with with that in my head, I basically, when I got out of high school, I decided to study law. Uh, and that's that's why I'm here today, because someone on a rainy Saturday afternoon told me, you know what you should do? As a joke, you should become a lawyer. And and, and now I'm doing uh, uh, intellectual property stuff. It's wonderful. Yeah, listen, uh, the, the power of influence, right? As a, as an eight-year-old kid, now we know why you have to be careful with your kids because they're easily influenced. You got positively influenced, but it could easily be negative influence, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then how did you sort of come down the channel of, after studying law, you know, sort of angle at the career path of brand protection? Um, so I started to study law in, in Leiden and I had there, I had a, a professor, uh, Dirk Fischer in the Leiden University, and he was very passionate about, uh, about IP and, um, that, that his passion sparked my interest. And basically after that, I thought, well, the other professors are also good, but this is someone that is very clearly day in, day out, busy with just protecting uh, other people's creativity. I've always uh, wanted to be like a, a painter or a singer or something like that. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't have any of the gifts that those people have. I don't have any creativity whatsoever. Uh, so when I heard uh, that professor talk about uh, IP, I thought, you know what? If I cannot uh, make beautiful paintings myself, the next best is to make sure that I will be able to protect the people that can. Um, so in Leiden, I studied, uh, business law and IP. And from that point on, I decided to focus just on, uh, intellectual property. Um, did that in China, did that in Canada and Toronto, uh, and in the end in former masters in, in Amsterdam. And right after that, I started working or actually during my studies already, I started working for a trademark firm in, uh, in, uh, in Amsterdam and from one thing led to the other, there was someone working there, started to work for, uh, for Clues, uh, and now I've been working there for, uh, for three years. So right from the IP legal uh, firm to Clues? Yes, 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 yes. So that's the pathway. Great. Yeah. Well, listen, it seems like, uh, and this is a positive statement again, too, influenced at a young age at eight, and influenced by a passionate uh, law professor talking about IP. Yeah. I'm not saying you need to influence, but certainly you've had a couple of guys in your life that have really fired up your switches and yeah. and got you where you're at. So that's nice to see that the positive influence of people has made you so successful. Absolutely. I I mean, uh, have I wished that the guy back then in the football stadium told me that I could become an astronaut? Maybe. Uh, but I'd take a brand protection uh, manager anytime as a second place. Absolutely. And maybe for those who are listening with us today, and may not be familiar with Clues. Maybe you share a little background on the company, maybe the size, where your main markets are, and things like that, so people have an idea 
of the brand that you represent? Of course. Yeah, Clues is a, is a, a watch company founded in, uh, in Amsterdam. Uh, and we're well, a watch and jewelry company, actually. We target people between the age of 18 and 35. We basically were one of the first brands to start working with influencers. We saw as soon as big platforms came along that there was sort of like a trade going on. If we give you a watch, you give us a post. And that way, there's an organic way of getting our, our message abroad. Uh, so as soon as Instagram took off, uh, so did we. Uh, and now we're one of the uh, still fastest growing brands in uh, in Europe, but already a quite established brand in uh, certain uh, markets in Europe, uh, Germany, France, the Netherlands, uh, UK. We have the main office still in Amsterdam. Uh, we have an office in Shanghai and one in Hong Kong. Um, and our main market is still Europe, but they're getting more and more people uh, enthusiastic about our products in uh, in Asia and North America as well. So that's uh, it's still up and coming, but 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 big enough that they have uh, counterfeiters, unfortunately. And and so so your presence not so much in North America, but perhaps as these influence continue to drive your business, we might find you all over the U.S. as well. Yes, absolutely. If I if I start working with uh, influencers like uh, Daniel Shapiro, uh, I'm sure that it will hit off in North America as well. Yeah, or, or put you out of business, one or the other. But I think that's <laughs> um, Tell us uh, in your job, what's the most difficult experience you've ever had, either currently as a brand protection coordinator at Clues, or maybe even something you've done before? Is there something that stands out as one of the most challenging tasks? I think a very difficult aspect of brand protection and, and IP in itself is getting the importance of what uh, intellectual property and what brand protection is across to basically everyone else. That May that be the consumer or even other departments. Um, I think if I look at myself as a consumer, if uh, before I started working in brand protection, when I saw a brand talk about that you should always buy genuine products, I can understand that the pro- that message can come across very self-centered, basically saying, just buy from us, give us your money, and and keep it that way uh, because we want to keep all the uh, all the profits for ourselves. And uh, I think I sort of have the same problem with uh, with uh, other departments. Um, if I think that, for example, in a product design or uh, with a digital product we have, uh, we want to include some sort of protection to our consumers. Uh, that means that now they have to get another check mark from the brand protection uh, legal department um, which can be difficult and I and I understand basically the fatigue from from both the consumers and other departments if you bring up again intellectual property and brand protection and you should you should check this you should check that um, I think that is an, an ongoing struggle trying to translate that legal framework that is very important for both the consumers and for uh, other departments into something that they can tangible understand, see what's uh, why it is important, why it is important that uh, a consumer doesn't wear a counterfeit watch because it can be uh, uh, damaging to their health or uh, any other reason. Um, but also to to my colleagues, we're all working for the same company. And even though I might ask a lot of difficult questions, uh, in the end, I also want our brand to do the best. 
but the, the, that constant battle between the legal framework where you have to work from translating that into understandable words to consumers uh, and, 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 and colleagues is, is something that is, uh, that is a challenge. I, but I, I guess that's the same for everyone in this world. Yes, uh, to your point, it's probably never a never-ending push, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's difficult today and probably still going to be difficult tomorrow. Hmm. On that note, as you think about the outlook in regards to brand protection of your industry, what do you think tomorrow's challenges look like? I think we can already, if you, if you look at the, for, at the um, brand protection from tomorrow, I think we can learn a lot from what we see already today. Uh, which is luckily that uh, the modern consumer is getting more conscious with their wallet. If you look at the rise of companies like Patagonia for their shirts or Thea for their for their shoes, uh, people are basically voting more and more with their money and decide that they want to purchase products that are doing good for the world. And I think that is a mindset that works very well with intellectual property and, and brand protection. Uh, I think we should, uh, as a community, as, as brand protection uh, uh, experts and people working IP, we should use that consciousness that is right now in society to get a point, uh, get across the message that counterfeit, buying counterfeit is easily the worst thing you can do with your money if you want to vote for a better world it's it's very uh, easy to link a counterfeit production to a bad uh, a working environment for the people producing it um, a, a bad uh, ways of producing the the the, the products in, in terms of environmental effects uh, to the even like health um dangers for people wearing uh, consumer products that are not produced by an actual brand because they don't have to um, oblige you any regulations whatsoever. So I, I think the the world of tomorrow in brand protection, um, we can take already a lot of lessons from what we see happening today with with, with consumers. Yeah, it makes total sense, and I and I think that's a good point. Sometimes I think people don't uh, get the sustainability feature right, or the pollution, or the yeah. Um, even the disposal, right? I mean, at some point, counterfeits are collected, and because they're not authentic, and because they we don't know what's in them, you know, we can't donate them. We really have to dis dispose of them, right? So it becomes its own challenge. Not only were they probably made poorly, but now uh, with pollution, but now we've got to destroy them and put them in the landfill, you know, on top of that, right? So it's like a double-edged sword. So it's a it's an interesting thought process. Well, is there a? Uh, do you think there's a um, a myth? around the industry and brand protection uh, in your world uh, that uh, we should debunk like people when they think of this legal brand protection guy who's always bugging the people in the uh, in, your, in your company. Uh, they think oh, these legal guys, the, the, the trouble. What, what should we debunk about uh, people like you? I, I think within the world of brand protection, there's a, a very interesting phenomenon that every problem related to, to counterfeit is always um, categorized as the whack-a-mole game, as if that's something bad. Um, I think everyone in, in brand protection or in IP at some point says like, well, it's a whack-a-mole game. You, you uh, get rid of one infringer and then another one pops up and then the, the, the cat and mouse game. 
um, like it, that the 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 that game, the whack-a-mole game, is something bad. I think it's actually very interesting that you work in an, in a profession where whatever you do, there's going to be a lot of people to try to be smarter than you. And whatever you think, well, this time we, we protected the, the product so well, there's no way they're going to counterfeit it this time. And give them a couple of months and they sit down with a whole crew uh, somewhere in a, in a dodgy building, somewhere in a suburb, and they will find a way to circumvent your new uh, counter, uh, anti-counterfeit feature on your product. And I think that's, that's that, that struggle that a lot of people see as something that can be very tiring. I think that is something that you don't see in a lot of other jobs. You're basically all the time trying to fight people that think that you're smarter, that they're smarter than you and smarter than your colleagues. And I think it's very interesting to pick up that glove and say, well, you know what? I'm up for the challenge. If you think you're smarter than me, bring it on. And I, I think that is something that that really lights the fire. But what do you think? Because you you've been around in the, in the, in, the, in the brand protection for a while. Yeah, listen. I think you're. I think you're. I think you're right, uh, Dennis. I think that uh, as a as a I hadn't thought about it as a as a something to debunk. But I think you're right. I think the challenge really becomes um, the, these guys are motivated by motivated by money. Yeah. And you're standing in their way. Every time you catch them, you, you affect their wallet, right? So to your point, I don't know if they're smarter than you, but they're certainly motivated by money and they're going to figure out how to get it back. Right. So yes, I think it is a little bit. And, and by the way, you know, it, without sounding a little too tongue in cheek, but it's a good job security. I mean, these guys are motivated. They're going to come back. And, and so your company needs you and they need, may need a second one of you, but, but they need you. And I think, uh, I think you're right. So. I, I think the only way they win is if you show that if you get annoyed by the by the whack-a-mole, if you if you get some sort of fatigue of chasing after them, that's when they win. And as long as you can bring up the the energy to every day uh, start again with the idea of indeed these people are trying to make money of whatever my colleagues are producing, it's it's not too bad. Yeah, really, it's a it's a really good thought process. I love it. Hey, um, one thing we uh, before we uh, did this interview with you, we had done a a podcast with Carrie uh, Hediati from 100%, which is a company that's really big in motocross and cycle sports. And uh, we asked her if she had something that we needed to learn from Dennis. And while I don't know, remember quite if she knows you, but I think she certainly knew who you were, knew your company. uh, She did ask the question of, she wanted you to answer, which was, what enforcement resources do you use as your favorites and why? And she was sort of thinking maybe publications or blogs or conferences that you like. What's your resource that you use to keep yourself, you know, dialed in? I think a very good one that is basically leisure is the fashion law blog. There is a blog called the fashionlaw.com, which basically combines intellectual property with pop culture. It shows a lot of cases all over the world. So you get some insight into different jurisdictions where maybe we as a brand are not active. Uh, but it also gives um, it gives you stories you can tell to your colleagues about IP uh, without going too too deep into IP. If there's a new pop star that, that took a song from another pop star, those are the juicy, the juicy stories that your colleagues are also interested in. And that's another way to to bring up again hey guys you know you, you know when i was annoying about brand protection oh by the way katie perry uh, also has an issue with intellectual property 
uh, it makes it easier to talk at the at the coffee machine in 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 the office when that's possible again uh, for now over over zoom meetings um i think that is an easy way to get the message of ip across to your colleagues aside from the fact that there are also some very good in-depth blog posts on the on the fashion law that's great thanks for sharing i'm sure there are a lot of people who who who, who may or may not know that uh uh, blog that uh, I think will uh, be a good resource for him. Um, what what advice would you give to a young person uh, who's thinking to pursue th- their career? You know, maybe it's a career like yours, or maybe it's a career differently. But what would you tell uh, maybe another young eight year old or another young eighteen year old who is thinking of what do I what do I do for my career? Absolutely. Well, I, w- with my 29, I'm I'm not sure if I'm the most qualified person to give career advice, <laughs> uh, because I'm 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 uh, very aware that there are other people with a lot of more experience uh, that will probably have a lot of uh, things to say that I cannot think of right now. Um, but what I do notice that helps me in 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 my job is to stay interested in whatever is happening in in terms of new. Uh, uh, technological developments it is so much easier to look into infringements on new social media if you already know of the social media and saw it pass by because your friends used it uh, instead of going into uh, a request because you got an email from someone saying hey i think they're uh, promoting a counterfeits on on this new tech uh, tiktok website uh, for example the the, the new uh, clubhouse uh, uh, platform uh, basically listening to to other people. Even there, I found some people talking about counterfeit. Obviously, it's very difficult to uh, sell counterfeits on a platform that is only uh, audio-based. But then again, it's also good that that platform opens up a way for people that are listening to participate, which means that me as a, as a brand protection person can jump in and say, hey guys, by the way, don't uh, buy a counterfeit because of this and this and this reason. Um, so I think the, the the enthusiasm for new technologies and not seeing that necessarily as new work that comes to your table, even though everyone is already busy, but seeing that as something that is interesting and something that you like to explore even in your, your daily life is something that please helps me uh, from, from nine to five uh, during the weekdays. Really good advice. I think that for a 29-year-old, very very, very well said. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Is there anyone in, you mentioned a couple of people as you were young who inspired you early on, but is there someone you think about a lot and uh, who's inspired you in your career who you look up to? I had, uh, I was very lucky to when I studied in Toronto in uh, Osgoode University to have uh, Professor Favor and uh, David Favor, Professor Favor is uh the man the myth the legend he has done everything in ip in in canada uh i think he wrote part of the canadian copyright law he he founded the intellectual property uh journal he was a former director of oxford intellectual property research center like the man has done it all has seen it all and i was very lucky to be in his class when i studied in uh, in toronto and i saw this man i think back then he was 71 uh, and he he said, well, uh, basically, I've, I've seen it all, I've done it all. I want you guys to to write an essay about anything related to IP, uh, and I will give my feedback on it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to write about AI. Let's see if this man knows anything about AI. And the first time, I got so much feedback, and he 
he described IP and AI, artificial intelligence already in a way like, like it was not futuristic, but like we were not talking about robots, but this man knew exactly what was going on. And I thought, wow, if, this, if there are people that can still be enthusiastic about IP 40, 50 years after doing something, even though I was maybe even trying to, to take a little bit advantage of that, Professor Favor still knew exactly the right things to say, knew exactly what was going on. Uh, and that is something that I hope to have as well when, uh, when I can look back on my career. Very nice story. We tip our hat to Professor Favor in Toronto. That's a nice story. Yes. And uh, maybe lastly, question uh, that you might like to ask. We're going to do a podcast in the next uh, few weeks with Andreas Uerbach from the group Technology and IP Intelligent at Husqvarna. And uh, I don't know if you know him, but is there a question that you'd like to think that we should learn from Andreas? I think it would be very interesting to know if Andreas has a, a favorite failure. I think it's very interesting to to think about failures as thing that can also be your favorite. And I think asking that maybe in in relation to uh, his IP work maybe in terms of how he connects with other colleagues or maybe in his personal life, does he have a favorite failure? I think that would be very interesting. All right. We'll make sure we ask him, but before maybe we go, I'll ask you, well, what is your favorite failure? So maybe you could share with us. We'll, we'll keep it from him until he answers the question. But See, see, that, I was already afraid of that. <laughs> Come up with a good question and, and, and then bounce it right back off me. <laughs> I think I my favorite failure is every time that you have a new infringer and you go a little bit too deep into the tunnel vision into looking into that infringer and you lose a little bit uh, the bigger picture. So I think uh, everyone working in this field, sometimes you have cases that companies on top of companies, ideas on top of ideas, people that suddenly pop out of nowhere that seem to be connected to other people and you, there's like this big big thing happening in your head of connecting people to countries to entities and you go you spend too much time into into um, projects like these cases like these uh, which in the end cost too much time you don't get that much uh, a return uh, but it's also so much fun uh, you, you learn a lot from it from time to time you you, you do get some uh, some feedback as well that it, that helps you again in your brand protection strategy but that's a, a, a failure that I like to make, uh, not all the time. As long as you don't get stuck down one of those rabbit holes. But absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And it, and if that's the case, then I I know that that means that I just need another another coffee and I'll be fine. Awesome. Well, listen, uh, Dennis, we uh, love learning about your story. Uh, we love the passion that you bring to the industry, and thank you for your time today. Thank you, Daniel, and uh, good luck with the rest of the interviews. It was very interesting to learn about your journey, your insights, and tips regarding brand protection space. I have a few key takeaways that resonated for me, and I'll share them with you. Buying counterfeits is not a smart move if you want a more sustainable world. Two, staying interested and open in learning more about new technology developments. New technology should not be seen as additional workload. And three, ask yourself, what's your favorite failure? We can all learn from our mistakes and failures because they are clearly our guide for success. That's it for us today. If you liked what you heard, check out our next inspiring story from another hero of brand protection. You can follow us on all of our platforms, 
Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. Make it a good day. 